Back in the early 2000s, there was a movie called Pay It Forward. I don't know if you ever saw it or remember that movie. It had Haley Joel Osment, the little boy who sees dead people. Um, he didn't see dead people in this movie. Instead, what happened in this movie was his teacher, uh, elementary school teacher, and I don't know what school this was, said, hey, here's your project. I want you to, to create something that's going to change the world. So it's a pretty simple project, right? So this little boy thinks, you know what I'm going to do is I'm going to be kind to other people. But rather than expecting them to pay it back, what I want them to do is I want them to pay it forward. And so his challenge becomes, hey, if you have something nice done to you, I want you to go find three other people and do something nice for them. And it's kind of the reverse of a pyramid scheme. It's not all about benefiting you, but trying to benefit as many people as you possibly can through doing these acts of kindness. And it kind of gained some steam and... and was a little bit of a movement at the time of this whole concept of a pay it forward that was taken from this movie that was based loosely on a, a book uh, about the story of this little boy who came up with this idea. Well, when we look at the beatitude that we're studying together this week, it's, it's much more than pay it forward, hey, go find three people to be nice to. Uh, this beatitude instead is, is really about a, a life that's lived knowing the the kindness that's been shown to us through Christ, the mercy that God has bestowed upon us that then will in turn lead us to want to be men who show mercy to others. Not with a, a counter, not with a, a quota, not with a, a budget of people that we have to be merciful to, to, to check a box, but men who just are, are known as those who are merciful. The text says, blessed are the merciful for they shall receive mercy. Mercy is a word that you're going to find not just in theological circles, but just in our, our world's vernacular as well. In fact, in the Webster Dictionary, it says that mercy is kindness or concern expressed for someone in need. Kindness or concern expressed for someone in need. We think about mercy and we realize that it's an attribute of, of God, the Father. In Exodus 34, 6 as he hides Moses in the cleft of the rock, the Lord passes before and the Lord declares and proclaims, the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and slow to anger, gracious and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. Later in Deuteronomy 4.31, God is being described there by Moses, for the Lord your God is a merciful God. Or in Psalm 18.25, which is the, the foundation of the beatitude that Jesus is preaching here in Matthew 5.7, uh, there David says, with the merciful God, you show yourself merciful. So mercy is a, an attribute of God. God is a God of mercy, but God is a God who also desires his people to be people of mercy, people who show mercy. In Matthew nine thirteen, Jesus is dining with sinners and tax collectors, and the Pharisees are there, and the Pharisees are, are appalled that Jesus would dine with these people that he would interact with them, that he would fellowship with them. And so they come and they, they're thinking to themselves that this is beneath a, a rabbi of dignity to, to eat with these people, to be with these people. And Jesus responds to them and says this, go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. In other words, God just doesn't want us to go through the motions and to be religious people and to be holy people, but he wants us to be people who care about others as well, who see the needs of others, who meet the needs of others, who love others. And as we'll see in this text, as we'll see in this message, it's because of the love, because of the mercy that God has shown to us. Later in Matthew 23, verse 23, Jesus is confronting the Pharisees again. 
And he says to them, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you tithe mint and dill and cumin, but have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and, here's our word, mercy and faithfulness. And Jesus tells them, look, you should have been doing these as well as the other things that you were doing. You've neglected the things that count, the things that matter. And one of the things that counts and one of the things that matters in God's economy for his people is that we would be a people who are merciful. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. This is a, a turning point in the Beatitudes. Because until this point, we look at the other ones and we see that it's those that are poor in spirit, those that mourn, those that are meek and humble, those that hunger and thirst for righteousness. And, and we look at all of those and we say, well, all of those are internal. I can't look at you and observe from the outside whether or not you are truly poor in spirit, whether or not you truly mourn over the sins of the world, whether or not you are meek and humble, or whether you really truly do hunger and thirst for righteousness. There may be some evidences from the outside of, of, of things, but really truly, I don't know the heart, right? Because that's, that's what that's all about. It's about the internal standing between you and God. And that's a work that God does through regenerating us and causing us to be born again. And in verse seven of the Beatitudes, there's this turning point because now from here on out, the merciful, the pure in heart, the peacemakers, and those who are persecuted for righteousness sake, these are attributes, these are Beatitudes that we can observe in one another's lives. If somebody stands up and says, I am merciful, you can look at their life to see whether or not they are actually demonstrating that, that reality, that they truly are merciful. Or if somebody says, I am pure in heart, you can look at their life and say, okay, are, are they truly a man of, of purity? If somebody says, I'm a peacemaker, you can look at their life and say, is there conflict there or are they really somebody who strives for peace? See, now we're turning to the external and it's important that Jesus focus first on the internal because that's what produces the external. Remember, the fruit is born by the root. And so I, I love that, that Jesus first focused on what what's, has to be there internally before we get to what we should be doing externally. But the first thing that we should be doing externally, that the, the root should be producing the fruit in our lives, is this attribute of mercy. And in the ESV, it, it does us a little bit of a disservice because it translates it, blessed are the merciful, as though this is just a, a characteristic that you have or don't have. Like somebody, whether they're, they're handsome or not handsome, right? I mean, there's not a lot you can do about that. You're born with what God gave you on that front, right? And when we read, blessed are the merciful, we can think about it that way, that you either have it or you don't have it. But this is not something that you just naturally possess. This is something that is, is demonstrated. And so what the Greek actually says is it says, blessed are those who show mercy, for they will be shown mercy. And even there, we see that it's a visible manifestation, that this is something that we model. This is something that's observable. But there's a problem when we look at this verse because it seems to imply that the mercy we will be shown by God is contingent upon the mercy that we show to others. It seems like this is a transactional uh, beatitude here. That, okay, if I want to have mercy shown to me, then I need to be merciful to others. But the problem that that creates in our minds, or at least it should create in our minds, is that seems to make mercy from God meritorious on our behalf. That we somehow earn God's mercy that we somehow merit or are worthy of, based on our actions, the mercy that God bestows upon us. And hopefully your red flags are, are popping in your mind. And this is why it's important to allow Scripture to interpret Scripture. Because that doesn't hold up when we look at the rest of the canon of God's Word and we understand that God doesn't bestow mercy on us in response to something that we do. 
but it's a free gift that he gives us, right? Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing, lest any man should boast, but it's the free gift of God. Even in the Old Testament, in Deuteronomy chapter 7, Israel is getting ready to enter into the promised land. And God wants them to remember that it's not because of anything that they did, but because of his love for them. He says in verse 7, It was not because you were more in number than any other people that the Lord set his love on you and chose you. For you are the fewest of all peoples, but it is because the Lord loves you and is keeping the oath that he swore to your fathers. So there God is even reminding the Old Testament Israelites, look, this is not based on your obedience to the law that I have set my affection on you. This is not because you're holy. This is not because I love you, or this is not because you're, you're, you're worthy of my love, but this is because I have decided to love you. In other words, God is saying, this is my initiative. Romans 5, 8, we see the same concept, right? There Paul says, but God shows his love for us in that while we were what? Still sinners, Christ died for us. God was merciful to us while we were still in rebellion, in open hostility against him. And then, of course, Ephesians 2, 4 through 7, after indicting us in the first three verses, saying that we were all by nature children of wrath because we were dead in our transgressions. Paul then says in verse 4, but God being rich in, here's the word, mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. God made us alive when we were dead. And so when we consider all of these things, this is why we can look at this verse and say, okay, this is not a transaction that Jesus is talking about here where I will only receive mercy if I show mercy. But in fact, as we'll see as this message unfolds, it, it's quite the opposite. What we're talking about here is that we will receive, we will show mercy, in other words, because we have received mercy. Because of the overwhelming mercy that God has bestowed to us, we will then become men who are merciful, men who show mercy to others. And really, if, if we hope to fulfill this beatitude, if we hope to demonstrate this, it's going to require that we begin by becoming aware of the needs of others around us. We can't be merciful to others if we have no clue what their needs are. Point number one this morning is this, recognize the plight of others. Recognize the plight of others. I want you to think about the parable of the Good Samaritan. We're going to come back to this a couple times this morning. But the parable of the Good Samaritan, you have the man who's coming down from worshiping in the temple and he's waylaid by robbers. He's beaten. He's, he's left to die on the side of the road and he's in desperate need of help. And you've got two men who come down the road first. And the first man comes by and passes around him, kind of skirts around him. He doesn't want to defile himself. He doesn't want to risk his life. The second man comes down and even crosses by onto the other side of the road because, hey, look, there could be robbers that are still there and he doesn't want to run the risk. And then they keep going. Well, both of those men saw the man in need. Both of the, those men saw the man beaten to a pulp and left for dead on the side of the road, and they chose to ignore him and, and pass by and go on their way. Why? Because they were more concerned with their own needs than they were the, the needs of, of others. But then you've got the good Samaritan, and the Samaritan comes down the road, and just like the first two men, he sees this man on the side of the road, but the difference is the Samaritan stops. He stops because he recognizes the need and he's moved to a compassion over this man's need. And that's key to our showing mercy is that we would be moved to a compassion for the needs of others. Jesus is approached in Matthew twenty-two thirty-six 36 by a, a, an expert in the law. 
And this expert in the law comes to Jesus and says to Jesus, just a simple question. Hey, Rabbi, what's the greatest commandment in the law? And Jesus responds in verse 37, and he says to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. Now, Jesus could have stopped there. He answered the question. And he answered the question with the, the Shema. He answered the question with Deuteronomy 6. He answered the question the way that he should have answered the question according to the standards of the day, according to what was true. This is the greatest commandment. Love God with everything. But then Jesus keeps going. He says, this is the great and first commandment. And a second one is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. And on these two commandments depend all Rest all, hang all of the law and the prophets. Love God and love others. And while we can get into conversations about our obligation to the Old Testament law and whether or not there is any, we do have an obligation to these two commandments still. Love God and love others. Well, if we're going to love others, we need to be able to know what their needs are. We need to be able to recognize when they're in need and know when they are hurting and know when they are in a way that we could be merciful to them. See, as we love God, the more that we under, love God, we will come to understand his love for us. And what his love for us is going to do in our lives is he's going to produce a love for others. John hammers this home time and time again in 1 John. 1 John 3 and 4 specifically. 1 John 3, 14. We know that we have passed out of death into life. How do I know that, that I've been born again? John says, because I love the brothers. 1 John three sixteen. By this we know love, that he, Jesus, laid down his life for us, and now we ought to lay down our lives for others. 1 John 4, 7. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God. How do I know I've been born of God? By the way that I love others. 1 John 4, 11, Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Again, the more that we understand God's love for us, the more that it's going to drive us to love others. Why? Because we're going to be in awe over how much he has done for us, over how merciful he's been to us, which should in turn cause us to want to be merciful and loving to others. 1 John 4, 19 essentially says as much, we love because he first loved us. And this involves living this outwardly focused life. And so we think about those in our different spheres and we have to ask ourselves, okay, what are the needs of those around us? And let's start in the home. How can I be merciful in the home? Well, one of the things we think about with mercy so often is that it's forgiveness, right? It's withholding the justice that's, that's due. It's, it's, it's withholding the, the judgment, rather, not the justice. It's withholding the judgment that's due. And so we can think of, of passages and verses like love covers a multitude of sins, and we can understand that there's opportunities for us within the home to be merciful to one another in that regard. But let's broaden that a little bit, and let's think about the men in our small group the men around this table, the men who are a part of your MBS group? Are you aware of the, the needs that they have? Because mercy extends beyond just not giving judgment or not giving punishment, but it's also meeting needs. It's having a compassion for people, right? When Jesus saw the, the people there as they were gathering in the crowds, it says that Jesus felt compassion for them because why? They were like sheep without a shepherd. They had a, a need that needed to be met. Well, Jesus would later say in John chapter 10, I am what the good shepherd. 
And so for us, as you think about the men in your small group, what are their needs? Do you know what their needs are? Is the prayer list something more than just something to, to update on, on your phone, on your app? Are you thinking to yourself, okay, God, do you want to use me to meet one of these needs from the men in my group? How about your, your neighborhood? Now we're broadening even further. Do you know the, the needs of your neighbors? I was in Texas right before the pandemic, and I was at a church there, and the pastor was preaching a message on being a, a light in our community. And I love the illustration he gave. He said he and his wife will often go for a walk in their neighborhood and they will just pray for the houses as they walk by in their neighborhood. And sometimes they don't know the people that are there and, and they'll just pray, God bless this house, bless this family. If there's anybody in this family that is an unbeliever, we pray that you would save them. But a lot of times he said they'll come across people who are outside. Why? Because it's the South and it's not like here where you just pull in your driveway and hit the garage door button before you get out of your car. People like each other down there. They're, they're friendly with each other. And so sometimes people will be outside in their yard and, and this pastor and his wife, they would walk by and they'll stop and they'll talk to them. And you know what they'll say to them? They'll say, you know what? We're Christians and, and we love the Lord and, and as such, we believe in the power of prayer. And we've been praying for people in the neighborhood as we walk by. Is there anything that we can pray for for you? And he said, what, what you'll find is they're not gonna grab their pitchfork and their, their torches and come after you and chase you off their lawn. They're, they're most of the time, thankful that you would ask, man, what's going on? And, and this pastor said he's, he's gotten to know his neighbors this way and their needs. And he's been able to pray for them and even think about, God, is, is there any way that maybe I can be merciful to this person and, and meet a need and be compassionate towards them and meet a need that they might have? Think about our neighbors that way. Coworkers, I would say same thing, right? What are the needs of the people that share the cubicle wall or office wall that you have? City. Man, what are the needs of, of our city? How can we as a, a community, as a church, maybe this is even more corporately than it is individually, but how can we be merciful to our city, compassionate to our, towards our city? Again, this involves thinking about the needs of others. And that doesn't come naturally because we are born, as we talked about last time, inclined to think only about what? Ourselves. And that's, again, why it's so important that first we have to be poor in spirit. First, we have to mourn over the brokenness of the world. First, we have to be meek and humble. First, we have to hunger and thirst for righteousness before we can ever hope to be merciful. And those first four things are things that are only possible as the Lord has wrought in us a, a, a new life. The Lord has caused us to be born again and saved us. This is not something that I can work up of my own willpower. But see, here's the thing with mercy. Mercy. Mercy is not actually realized until it moves us to action. It's one thing to recognize a need. It's another thing to now act upon that recognition. And that's where mercy is, is actually fully realized. It's showing mercy. Blessed are those who show mercy, for they shall be shown mercy. James illustrated this wonderfully in, in James chapter 2, verses 14 through 17. He's talking about faith there, but it, the example that he uses in illustrating showing our faith is an example of showing mercy to someone. James says in verse 15, if a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled without giving them the things needed for the body, James says, what good is that? The implication there is it's not any good at all for us not to enter in, for us not to act when we recognize the need is not to show mercy at all, but it's, 
It's to do essentially nothing. It's like the people that were in the Good Samaritan, as they walked by, they saw the man. They recognized he had a need, but they weren't moved to stop and act. They moved on beyond the man because they were more concerned about themselves than they were with his need. See, mercy is is more than feeling sorry for someone. Mercy is more than wishing well for someone in need. And I would say mercy is more than, not less than, but mercy is, is more than praying even for someone. That mercy is, is really a, a tangible action. Mercy is, here's how I've defined it. Mercy is entering into the suffering of another person in a tangible way so as to do whatever is in your means to alleviate their pain. Mercy is entering into the suffering of another person in a tangible way so as to do whatever is in your means to alleviate their pain. They're suffering. This is why it's not enough for us to say, go, be warm, be filled. We have to act. We have to enter into. We have to roll up our sleeves and be willing to get nitty and gritty and to to get dirty with people who are in a bad way. Our second point this morning is this. Enter into the plight of others. Enter into the plight of others. Don't, Don't just recognize it. And even recognize it and be moved to compassion, but then act on that compassion. Enter into it, engage with it. Again, the parable of the Good Samaritan, the Samaritan did just that. He stopped. He sees this man in need. And at a great cost to himself, right, he used his oils to, to dress the man's wounds. He used his bandages to wrap up the man's wounds. He, he even used his animal that he had been riding on sacrificed his comfort to to take the man and put him on his donkey. He went to the inn. He made sure that the man was taken care of at the inn. He paid a great cost and even paid way more than was necessary for this man to stay a couple of nights at this inn and even told the innkeeper, look, if if you incur more cost, let me know and I'll I'll even cover that. See, this is the mercy in action. It's entering into, it's being willing to, to, be inconvenienced to help another person when you have the means to be able to help them. Proverbs chapter 3, verses 27 through 28. Proverbs 3, 27 through 28, Solomon says this. He says, do not withhold good from those to whom it is due when it is in your power to do it. Solomon says, do not say to your neighbor, go and come again tomorrow and then I'll give it to you when you have it with you. Be merciful. Meet the need if you're able to meet the need. 1 John 3.18, 1 John 3.18, John says, Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in what? Deed, in deed and truth. I like what James Boyce, commentator, says about this. Uh, again, a lot of times we, we split mercy and grace and we think to ourselves, and I, I remember growing up hearing these definitions, mercy is getting what you, or not getting what you deserve. Mercy is not getting what you deserve. You deserve the wrath of God. Mercy is that you don't have the wrath of God on your life. Grace is getting what you don't deserve, which is all the good things. And so what we've done in that is we've relegated mercy to everything that's negative and grace to everything that's good, and that's a disservice to mercy. Mercy is so much more than just the fact that God is not punishing you. It's so much more than that. And, and Boyce says this. Boyce says, grace is love when love is undeserved. And then I love this. He says, mercy is grace in action. 
Grace is love when love is undeserved. Mercy is that love in action. Is part of that the fact that God is not punishing us for the sins as we rightly deserve? Absolutely. But it's so much more than that. Boyce goes on. He says, mercy is love reaching out to help those who are helpless and who need salvation. Mercy identifies with the miserable in their misery. We get a picture of this in Galatians 1. In Galatians 1, 3 through 5, this is the introduction to the letter that Paul is writing. And he says this, Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, here it is, who gave himself for our sins in order for what? To deliver us from the present evil age. See, God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit recognized the plight that we were in. That we had a sin in our lives that had driven an infinite chasm between us and the Father that we could never overcome. In recognizing the plight in the most incredible way that has ever been done, Jesus entered into that plight. Right? Taking on flesh. That's why the writer of Hebrews says in Hebrews chapter 4, we don't have a high priest who's unable to sympathize with us. No, we have a high priest who's entered into our plight, who's been tempted in every way as we are yet without sin. Philippians chapter two, we have a, a savior who did not count equality with God a thing to be held onto, but he emptied himself, taking on the form of a servant, being found in human form. He, he humbled himself by becoming obedient even a, to the point of, of death, even death on a cross, right? We have Jesus who in his mercy, his great mercy, not only recognized our need, but entered into our plight to help us to meet our need. And so we've asked about those different spheres in our lives. And now the next question as we consider point number two is to ask ourselves, okay, what do I have that maybe I can bring to the table to meet these needs? And the first thing that we often think of in this regard is money. And yes, that, that may be part of it. Again, parable of the Good Samaritan, you think of the man, he spent money to help a brother in need. Not a brother, actually, a, a, somebody who was hostile to him. Jews and Samaritans, they didn't like each other during this. How about time, though? I think we're more willing to spend money to help somebody than we are to spend our time to help somebody. I'd rather give you 20 bucks and send you on your way than put you in my car and drive you to where you need to go in order to, to help you get done what you need to get done. Right? Other resources that we may have to meet needs. Our home, giving somebody a place to stay. Food, providing somebody with something to eat. A car, maybe. Hey, I've, I've got my car. I'm going to be out of town for a few weeks. Why don't you use it? I know you've got a need right now. But then there's also you, yourself. Your abilities, you know, what the Lord has, has gifted you to be able to do. Can you help others with that? Your words. You know, sometimes there's going to be situations where uh, to be merciful to somebody, you're not going to be able to, to, to solve that with money or with resources or with your abilities. You, you're just not going to be able to do that. You've got a brother who's suffering because his mom or dad just passed away. You've got a brother who's suffering because there's a difficulty in his marriage right now. You can't pull out a checkbook and fix those problems, but you can still be merciful. Because God can use your words to bring comfort. He can use your counsel to bring comfort. Sometimes it's just he can use your presence. 
with a brother to be a source of, of comfort. Another way he can use you is your prayers. I mentioned earlier that mercy is not less than our prayers. Yeah, our prayer is foundational to our showing of mercy. Our prayer is the most powerful resource we have at our disposal as we pray for one another. Another way that we can show mercy is those that are lost in our lives. As we recognize their need and we would say that their greatest need is what? Salvation, right? And you have a testimony that God has given you to bear witness to what Christ has done in your life by saving you. And so you can be merciful to the lost neighbors that you have, to the lost coworkers that you have, to the lost family members that you have by being a witness in their life, by sharing the gospel with them, by pointing them to Christ. Again, mercy is so much more than just not getting what we deserve. So much more than that. Remember Ephesians 2.4. But God being rich in mercy, Paul says, he highlights mercy before he even gets to, for by grace you have been saved. He says, God being rich in mercy made you alive, regenerated you. See, God's mercy is, as Boyce says, love in action. So should our mercy be to others. We have to enter in. We have to act. And maybe at that, you're thinking to yourself, wow, this sounds like another one of those do, do, do sermons. Another one of these checklist sermons. Pastor PJ, you said at the beginning you were done with these, right? Hold on a second. Let's zoom out, okay? I said at the beginning this is not a transactional beatitude. And maybe you're thinking to yourself, yeah, but it still looks a lot like a transactional beatitude to me. It still says, blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. So this looks like do, do, do. This looks like I have to do in order to receive but now let me flip this on its head because I want to ask you a question. How can a person truly be merciful the way that Jesus is calling us to be merciful? How can we actually put into practice what Jesus is talking about in this beatitude? And I'm going to argue that it's not possible apart from first having God be merciful to us. First, having God do that work, Ephesians 2, 4, of him and in the richness of his mercy, making us alive together with Christ. That we can't bring our efforts to the table and say, okay, God, look, I, have I been merciful enough? Will you now be merciful to, to me? And the reason is because verses like Isaiah 64, 6. If you don't know it, you've heard it. Probably we have all become like one who is unclean and all of our righteous deeds are like what? A filthy rag, a polluted garment. So if, if we're thinking that this is transactional, we've got a problem because Jesus disagrees with Isaiah. And we would say, no, that that's not possible. So there's got to be something different here. And then earlier in Isaiah, Isaiah 53, verse 6 Isaiah says, all of us like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone, and here it is, what? To his own way. Again, for me to show mercy, I have to be thinking about others. And Isaiah is saying, the problem that caused the Lord to lay on the servant the iniquities of us all, the, the problem that caused the Lord to crush the son is the fact that I have turned inward. And all I'm concerned about is me. And for me to get those blinders off, the only way that that's possible is for God to be merciful to me first before I'm merciful to anyone else. So even though this looks transactional, 
what we find here, I think, is we find that what's built into this is the assumption that you have been born again. Blessed are those who show mercy, for they shall be shown mercy. The only reason, the only way that I can show mercy is if first God has been merciful to me. Our final point this morning is this. Show mercy as an overflow of the mercy that has been shown to you. Show mercy as an overflow of the mercy that has been shown to you. See, this is why this is not a, a legalistic checklist kind of a sermon. Because, men, you can't do this. This is a work of God working in and through you. This is a Philippians 2, 12, and 13 type situation where Paul says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling, knowing that it is God who is at work in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. If we show mercy to others, it's the evidence of the Spirit working within us. If we show mercy to others, it's only because we are aware of how much mercy God has shown to us. Right? This it brings to mind the parable of the unforgiving servant. We don't have time to, to turn there necessarily, but think about that story. If you, you recall it from Matthew chapter 18, you've got this wicked servant who owed a, an amount of money that he could never pay back, even if he were to give every single dollar he earned back to this king for the rest of his life. And the king calls him to pay his account, and the, the servant says, I, I, I can't, I don't have it. And the king says to him, I forgive you. Your debt is wiped clean, completely. You owe nothing anymore. Go free. And the servant goes out and he finds a fellow slave who owes him two weeks of salary. Nothing in comparison to what he owed this king and what this king had forgiven him. And the servant goes to his fellow servant and says to him, look, you need to pay me. And the servant says, I can't. And the, the evil servant says back to his fellow slave, he says, look, you're going to pay me or I'm going to put you in debtor's prison along with your family and you're going to work until you pay back everything. Right? The king gets word of it and calls the servant back and basically says, how dare you? How dare you? When I forgave you so much, how could you not go out and forgive your brother such a little amount, right? This is what we need to, to, to understand, man, that, that God has shown us so much mercy in order that we would also show others mercy, that we would be merciful to others. You know, you think about the Good Samaritan. You know who we are in the Good Samaritan? We grow up in Sunday school with the felt boards thinking that we need to be what? The Good Samaritan. That's not Jesus' point. You know who we are in the Good Samaritan? We're the guy that's beaten and bloody and lying on the side of the road, not able to do anything for ourselves. The Good Samaritan is Jesus. See, as Jesus tells that story to a Jewish audience, the hero of the story is what? A Samaritan. Jews and Samaritans hated each other. And in fact, in the story, Jesus even portrays the antagonists as a Levite and a priest. People that the Jews would have been like, oh yeah, they're, here come the heroes, the Levite and the priest, and they pass on by. Here comes a Samaritan, the last one in the world you would think would be compassionate to a Jew in need, and the Samaritan's the one who stops. And the Samaritan... Samaritan is, is the one who loves this man to an extraordinary degree. See, what Jesus was driving at in the parable of the Good Samaritan, what Jesus wanted the people to say as a result of the parable of the Good Samaritan is that's impossible. Exactly. Because that's a love that only Jesus has ever shown us. It's a mercy that only God has ever demonstrated to us. 
Now, should we desire to be like him? Yes, absolutely we should. Should we walk away from the parable of the Good Samaritan thinking to ourselves, man, I need to love others more? Yes, we should. But see, Jesus is the only one who's ever done it so well and so perfectly. Jesus is the hero of that story. He's the one who has shown such amazing mercy. And it's because we see his mercy that we ourselves should want to be merciful to others. He's modeling this and we want to walk in his footsteps. Why? Because we love him and we want to be like him. There are some thoughts that hinder mercy in our lives. These thoughts prevent us from being as merciful as God would have us be. First, you know, I just, I don't have the time. I don't have the time to be merciful. I don't have the time to meet that need. Or another one is, well, they, they don't really deserve it. Yeah, duh. That's the whole point of mercy. They don't deserve it. it, it you know, they, they made their bed, let them lie in it. If, if I step in to help, they're not going to learn the lesson that they need to learn in the midst of this. I've been where they are. Nobody helped me. I turned out fine. It's not really going to make that much of a difference. I mean, their need is far greater than anything that I can do. So why should I even bother? Because the, I, can't, I can't make that big of a dent. And then this one, if I help, it might cost me too much. See, these, these are thoughts that hinder mercy in our lives. And just imagine with some of those thoughts, if, if that had been the response of Jesus to our sins. Imagine that, right? They don't deserve it. Well, that's true. We didn't. We didn't deserve it. They made their bed. Let them lie in it. Well, that's true. We did make our bed. If it, I help them, it, it might cost me too much. Well, that was absolutely true, right? Galatians 1, 4, Jesus gave himself. That word gave is sacrificial in its implications there. These thoughts hinder our mercy. How about thoughts that promote mercy? Some passages to jot down. Philippians 2. That great passage, have this mind amongst yourselves, which is also yours in Christ Jesus, right? That passage, that will promote mercy when we consider how much mercy we have been shown, right? Romans 5. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us, right? As we, again, look to the mercy that we have been shown, it's going to promote mercy in our lives. Ephesians 2. We were dead in our trespasses, but we've been made alive by God who was rich in mercy. That's going to promote mercy in our lives. Galatians 1, again, Jesus who gave himself for our sins, Galatians 1, 4, to deliver us from this present evil age. These are things that are going to promote mercy in our lives. Notice it's not a grin and bear it. It's not a pull yourself up by your spiritual bootstraps and just be more merciful. If you want more mercy in your life, look to Jesus. If you want more mercy in your life, look at the cross, look at the gospel. Immerse yourself there because, man, that is the only thing that's going to produce more mercy in your life. The only thing that will is that you understand more of the mercy that God has shown to you. And as you become more amazed at the mercy that Jesus 
has given to you. As you look at Jesus and see Jesus and love Jesus and say, I want to follow Jesus. And Jesus has been merciful to me, so I want to be merciful to others. That's the only thing, man, that's going to make you a more merciful person. I do want to deal with the, the future tense there, though, because it says, blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. It is future. So what, what is the future? Why is this not transactional, and yet this is still future? Well, it's for this reason. As God has shown mercy to, uh, to us, and then we enter in and begin to be merciful to others, we look forward to a future day in which we will know in full the mercy of God in a way that we don't yet know it, right? That day's coming. That day that John said in 1 John 3, 2, we will be like him because we will see him. We'll be face to face with Jesus. We will know mercy when the presence of sin is finally gone. When we are fully delivered from this life, that's when we will have the full mercy of God. We enjoy its, its outer fringes right now as we live this life, but then we will know the fullness of the mercy of God. And that's why Jesus says, blessed are the merciful for they shall receive mercy. Again, remember the Beatitudes is talking about that kingdom that's coming. That's when we will know mercy to the, the fullest degree. In the meantime, blessed are the merciful. Well, how can I be merciful? Only if God has done that work in our lives first. Only if we have been born again. This is the greatest example of pay it forward. The greatest example. So we consider everything that the Lord has done for us, how merciful he has been to us. It should be the fuel and the motivation to propel us to live lives of mercy recognizing the needs of others, entering into the needs of others, meeting those needs as we can because of everything that God has done to meet our greatest need, which was for our relationship to him to be restored through Christ. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for that very reality, that you were merciful to us, gracious to us, kind to us, and that you saved us by your mercy. Father, we pray that you would be just continually kind to us through your spirit to help us to understand more and more of that mercy. Lord, make us aware of the needs around us. And as we are able to meet those needs, I pray that you would prompt us to meet them. That we would answer that call, that we wouldn't just say, go be warm and be filled, but that we would be willing to roll up our sleeves and enter into the pain of a brother, enter into the suffering of a brother, the need of a brother, and be willing to do whatever we can to meet that need. And Lord, even those that aren't brothers in the sense of being people that are, are in the church, people that are part of your family. God, we pray that we would see their need and their need is that they need Jesus and that we would be moved by compassion like Jesus was, by mercy like Jesus was, to, to be a witness to them in their lives, to be love in action in their lives, to share with them the good news of the gospel, that they might come to know your mercy and be saved and be born again as well. Father, I pray for the rest of our, our day today that we would be wise stewards of this day and we would be found faithful to you as we await the return of Jesus in his name.